Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Position previews roll on. This time, first base. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, February 8th. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers, who is just wearing a beautiful Hawaiian-esque button-down shirt. Big fan mm-hmm. of the shirt here, Chris. What's happening, buddy? Yeah, it's been really cold in New York, and this is my third winter in New York, and I feel like this has been by far the coldest winter. I feel like it hasn't been above, like, 35 degrees in three weeks or something like that and most days have been like in the feels like nine degrees range so i'm just trying to wear a tropical themed shirt to try to manifest some warm weather you know we can you know it it it, it, it has been kind of you know especially cold this winter we've gotten in the 40s a couple different weeks already well so that's look man i've always said like 48 in miami it, it hits different like, yeah. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're not used to it. Maybe it's no. the, the humid air, but like no. 48 in Miami is legitimately, it feels cold in a way yeah, that like no, I'm, I'm 48 a, here does not. I, I cannot handle cold anymore. And it, it, it <laughs> only took like a couple years of living in South Florida for that to be the case. You are, you are a skinny little thing, you know, yeah. you don't got a lot of meat on those bones. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't get enough layers whenever I go north during, you know. Gosh, I mean, we we took a trip to San Francisco, and this was like ten years ago. And I know what's Mark Twain's famous quote about San Francisco. Nobody it's, knows it. I, I figured um, you know it, Chris. You like know, the coldest, I, yeah. the coldest winter I ever spent was summer in San Francisco, or something like that. Yeah, but something like, like that. I was freezing the whole. You time know what the was. trick is, Scott? The what? underlayer is the most important layer. The layer, like you get, like the long johns. You need like the waffle the most, shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm talking like the. Like a thermal underwear okay. kind of thing. That's that's the like that's skin the tight. Yeah, you've yeah, got to yeah. get like an Under Armour type thing working yeah, underneath yeah. there, and then it yeah, but, like thermal. But see, I never had that. Like I lived in Georgia, you know. <laughs> Georgia gets it gets freezing in the winter for weeks at a time, and I don't. I never had to do that, but whatever. Let's hope you never yeah. have to do it either. Uh, anyway, three minutes. Someone of our- who lives in Minnesota is just shouting at us right now oh yes through the podcast app yeah Yeah, our our canadian listening audience is just is is (laughs) laughing at us right now anyway uh three minutes of our first base position preview that earned us at least i don't know five comments on youtube after this is all said and done (laughs) the first base preview today we are going to do some outlook and strategy of course some adp review sleepers breakouts bust and more but chris we'll start with you because that beautiful shirt that you're wearing uh what does this position look like in 2022 first base it's feel like it's not filled with as many star-studded hitters up top as there used to be but feels very very deep what do you think about first base 
it's always going to be there's there's never going to be a shortage of competent players at first base because it's such an easy position to play defensively. Sorry, Ron Washington and uh, Scott Hatterberg. Um, that's a little money ball reference for you guys. Gotcha. Um, but it's it's a relatively easy position. It's certainly the easiest position to play on the infield, and so you'll get a lot of guys shuffled there at the end of their careers, or if they can't hack it elsewhere, but their bat's good, or you just need a late inning replacement. You need to get a guy's bat in the line. Like that's that's kind of the it's kind of the the spare sock drawer or something. That's just kind of where you throw guys out there if you need to get them some playing time. And so there's always going to be good players at first base. But I think one thing that we're seeing as a long-term trend at the position around baseball is because teams are getting better at shifting and because teams are getting better at defensive positioning and because generally the defensive spectrum seems to have gotten flattened a little bit is you'll see teams move Max Muncy all over the field. Guys who in the past might have just played first base. All of a sudden, those guys are getting moved around the diamond in a way that makes it so that players who normally would be first basemen in the past are all of a sudden playing elsewhere. And it's made other positions stronger. It's kind of gotten made made positional scarcity less of a thing. And it's made first base, uh, I don't know if it's weaker, but definitely not as top-heavy as it used to be. Yeah, we'll mention a few names later on, but DJ LeMahieu, Jake Cronenworth are a few of those names that they have first base eligibility. Don't really think about them as traditional first basemen, but nonetheless, you can use them there at, in fantasy baseball this upcoming season. Scott, what do you think about the first base position and what is your strategy at this position? Uh, you know, where do you find yourself going? Is there a specific tier? Uh, are there names in particular that you, you wait on at the position? What do you think about first base this year? I, I feel like first base is the position maybe more than any other where I don't, I don't really have a specific strategy. I just keep a close eye on how quickly the tiers are depleting. And when the right opportunity comes to take from that tier, I do, you know, that could be Pete Alonzo in round five. Like it could be Vladimir Guerrero in round one, right? It could be Pete Alonzo in round five. It could be uh, like a CJ Crone or Reese Hoskins in round nine or 10. Uh, I'm loving the value of Joey Votto at least in terms of ADP so far. Now, a lot of the drafts I've done, he hasn't lasted to his ADP. But I think, uh, you know, it, it, and if you're talking like a points league, I'm, I'm not so sure he deserves to be a, low, a tier below like Pete Alonso. Uh, he averaged 3.44 head-to-head points per game last year. That's actually more than Paul Goldschmidt averaged. And maybe he won't be able to repeat that number that, that season completely, but... I think it was mostly legit what he did last year in that resurgent season. So I, I, my guess is Joey Votto is going to be the one first baseman I wind up with most often. But, of course, it kind of depends who I'm drafting with and whether or not they let me get him at that discount, which, by the way, on average, it's 145th that he's going. Yeah, and represents one of the better values right now. Sleepers 1.0, I included Joey Votto in there. He was actually the poster child of my article there. And he's part of a group that I have dubbed the Profit Pocket at first base. So we'll talk about that group a little bit later on. And I'm just finding myself with a lot of players within that group. It's a quartet, by the way, but we'll get to that. Let's jump into ADP review and start with 
the man, Vladimir Guerrero. What a fantastic season for Vlad last year. The ADP is 4.7. He's the only first baseman going in the first round on ADP right now. He turns 23 years old in March. That didn't stop him last year. He finishes the first overall player in both Roto and in head-to-head points. 641 points scored on CBS last year. Led all players, not just hitters. It led all pitchers as well. That's how amazing Vlad was last season. 311 batting average, 48 homers, 123 runs scored that led baseball, 111 RBI, four steals as well. Finally, lowered that ground ball rate, raised the launch angle, and this was the outcome. Chris, my only question to you is the downside of Vladimir Guerrero. And we talked about this a little bit last week on our mailbag podcast, but a listener pointed out that in the games where he didn't play in Buffalo and Dunedin, which are fantastic hitters' ballparks, not traditional MLB ballparks, outside of those parks, he hit 292 with an 892 OPS. So does that worry you at all when using a top five pick on Vladimir Guerrero? Yeah, I mean, even like the first half versus second half splits, he had a 1089 OPS in the first half, hit 332 uh, with 28 homers in 87 games, was not nearly as good in the second half. That being said, 288. 20 homers in 74 games, 292 with an 890 OPS away from uh, Dunedin and Buffalo. It's it's Freddie Freeman. Like that's that's I think the the thing with Vladimir Guerrero is it's yes there's some downside. Yes, maybe expecting him to be what he was last season is probably asking too much for him to do every year. That's a really really high bar, and he would be a Hall of Famer if he did that every year. He would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He would be Albert Pujols, and maybe he is. <laughs> More likely outcome is he spends most of his career hovering between a 900 and a 1,000 OPS most seasons, which is what Freddie Freeman has done for most of his career. And Freddie Freeman's a perpetual first-round pick, uh, perpetually one of the 15 best players in fantasy. So, like, the downside is you get a second-rounder with your number one overall pick or your number four overall pick, whatever it is, and that's not really much downside because most early-round picks don't return a profit on their price. That's just the way things work. Um, You just want to avoid the disaster seasons. And Vladimir Guerrero has both incredible upside, as we saw last season, and a really, really high floor. So I don't think there's much risk. It's possible maybe someone on this podcast will mention him as a possible bus candidate later. But even having said that, (laughs) the bus bus potential is only... It's very unlikely he has a Cody Bellinger season. I don't actually believe in what you know happened outside of those ballparks, Dunedin and Buffalo. I just think it's a uh, devil's advocate argument, something worth bringing up and, and yeah. talking about. Well, I, I mean, you compare him since we're talking. Okay, we're talking about do you take him second overall or do you take him fifth overall? And consider the other players you might consider taking in the top five. I mean, obvious downside potential with for Fernando Tatis with that shoulder. With the right? shoulder, yeah. Um, Trey Turner and Juan Soto have not shown, at least over a full-length season, I mean, near the power upside mm-hmm. that Vladimir Guerrero just gave us. And, and Juan Soto doesn't look like he's going to be much of a base stealer like we hoped for in the past. Um, so... You know, maybe you go with Jose Ramirez because of position scarcity, because of steel scarcity, but that you know that that's only the case in a in a categories league, obviously not in a points league. Vladimir Guerrero seems among the safest choices you mm-hmm. could take in that range, and so that's why I have him actually as my number two player in both formats. 
All right, so you heard it there. Look, I, the floor is still incredibly high. The plate discipline is fantastic. Don't just think, all right, well, he's related to uh, Vladimir Guerrero Sr., so he's got to be a similar player. It, it actually couldn't be more of the opposite. He has fantastic plate discipline. He walks a ton. He doesn't strike out. He doesn't really chase pitches outside of the strike zone, and he's part of one of the best ball, uh, one of the best lineups in baseball, hitting in the best division in baseball. Toronto, Fenway, Yankee Stadium, Camden. Of course, they're pushing the ball, the walls back a little bit there, but still a, a fantastic uh, division to hit in for fantasy baseball. So Vlad, worthy of a, a top five pick. So we'll, we'll get that out of the way, and let's move on to Freddie Freeman, who has an ADP of 19. He is going in the second round, the only first baseman going in the second round, 32 years old now, currently a free agent. And sorry, Scott, but we're seeing some whispers of the Yankees' interest in Freddie Freeman. Uh, I do predict that they'll wind up with one of him or Matt Olson, who we'll talk about in just a little bit. Uh, Scott, look, Freddie Freeman was awesome last year overall. I mean, the RBI output, not what you want to see, 83 RBI, but he batted second for a lot of the year. He got off to a really, really slow start as well. But from June 1st on, 329 batting average, 19 homers, a 927 OPS. Those were mm-hmm. Freddie Freeman numbers. Yeah, no, I mean, he's he's awesome. He's, he's been this guy for forever at this point, right? Basically, among the safest sources for batting average, uh, Always worth a pick, either at the end of round one, round two, always delivers on that draft price. And I, you know, I think it would translate anywhere. I don't, I don't see him having like a huge boost if he wound up going to Yankee Stadium because he, he does hit so many home runs to straight away and to, uh, to the opposite field. Uh, I think, I think 37 is what Statcast gives him. If uh, is where his batted balls. It's thirty-seven is the number of home runs he would have had according to his spray chart at Yankees. If he played every game, right? If he played every game, there thirty-seven as opposed to the thirty-one he actually hit. Well, you know, some stadiums actually show more than thirty-seven if he had played there. So you know, it's it's not the sort of thing I put a lot of stock into anyway. And it's a hypothetical. I, I will say a part of me will die. If he signed, if he if he goes anywhere else but re-signing with Atlanta, you will see a a lesser man here, forevermore, because that would just be so heartbreaking. He's never once expressed interest in leaving Atlanta at all, and I have no idea why they let it get to this point without re-signing him. But it scares me. They've got a lot of real estate holdings that they need to make sure they uh, they pay the debts her service on well so. i mean the profits they're getting from that are supposed to go back into the roster <laughs> it's right you, you know you and i had this argument like two and a half three years ago and you were like pounding the table they're definitely going to put them back the billionaires don't care about you they don't care well, about the team they they don't have an they don't have an owner chris they exactly <laughs> they are it's they just are, the vague just, nebulous billionaires that's even just worse given a budget <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, I find it curious that the Braves did not get a deal done with Freddie Freeman before this lockout. So as as weird as it sounds and as weird as it might look, I think that there's a real possibility that he winds up somewhere else. So uh, I'm sorry to say it, Scott. It's, and look, you've got to take it up with those with those Bravos because it's it doesn't yeah. really make sense. I mean, they have Ozzy Albies, they have Acuna on these fantastic deals, and, and for some reason they just don't have a deal done uh, with Freddie Freeman. It's, it is very odd. Chris, uh, the only things that I'm looking at in terms of downside for Freddie Freeman, getting up there a little bit in age, 32 years old, yeah. we saw the ground ball rate uh, creep all the way up to a career-high 43% 
last year, and it was sub 40% every other season outside of 2011. So, you know, as a player starts to get older, especially a slugger, you know, you see that ground ball rate tick up. It, it, it worries me a little bit. It could be like the start of a power decline. Yeah, maybe. I mean, his expected Woba was the second highest he's had in the StatCast era. His Wobon heart, his Wobon contact was actually the fourth highest in the last seven years, so right in the middle, so nothing concerning there. High average exit velocity, barrel rate, all of it, you know, and I guess you could see a small red flag there, but given the fact that we're going on nine years of him hitting 300, with a 918 OPS, literally nine years, 302 batting average, 918 OPS, and he was basically that last season. I just, I don't see any reason to be concerned. It wouldn't shock me if Freddie Freeman was better than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. this season. Um, and they're just, there seems to be so little downside with him. That's yeah. that's what you're getting at first base with these early picks. It's just a complete lack of things that could go wrong. Yep, and I like Freddie Freeman regardless of format, too. He's fantastic in head-to-head points because of his plate discipline. And in Roto, very sneakily, gave you eight steals last year, and it's something he consistently does. And Look, he's not a contributor, but he gives you something. Usually six to eight steals. Um, it helps from the first base position. Let's move on to Matt Olson, who has an ADP of 35. He's going right around the 3-4 turn. Let's just marry him and P. Alonzo together here because I feel like we're going to talk about a lot of these guys <laughs> together anyway. It, it feels like anytime we talk about one, we bring up the other one. Uh, Pete Alonzo going about 16 picks later right now than Matt Olson going in the fifth round. And Scott, as amazing as the season was for Matt Olson, it really was improvement, massive improvement in the strikeout rate last year, improved against left-handed pitching. He did regress in the second half where he hit 257 with an 878 OPS. It's still a very, very productive player, but it just so happens that during that same time frame, Pete Alonso was even better than Matt Olson, and he also cut down his strikeout rate. So it's just very odd to me that there, there's like this one and a half, two round discount between Matt Olson and Pete Alonso. Yeah, I mean, I think the the plan going forward for these two is whichever is coming off the worst year. That's the one you should probably be drafting because they're <laughs> they're they're mirror images of each other. You got Olson, the left-handed hitter, uh, Alonzo, the right-handed hitter. Both both could give you forty homers any given year. And it, it, what makes the comparison all the more uncanny is that they both drastically improved their strikeout rate this past year. Alonzo had more, I mean, Olsen had more room to improve. He went from being slightly worse to slightly better than Alonzo, but he cut his strikeout rate down to about 16%, and Alonzo got it under 20% for the <clears> first time. So, yeah, I mean, at the price, I'd rather have Alonzo. I do. I do like Olsen just a little bit more because he walks more, but, you know, Alonzo walks a fair amount too. And for the, the price difference, I expect to have more shares of Alonzo. Just how massive was that strikeout rate improvement for Matt Olson? He went from 31% in the shortened 2020 season, 16.8%, <clears throat> excuse me, was the strikeout rate in 2021 for Matt Olson. Now, much like Freddie Freeman, uh, it seems like Matt Olson is going to wind up playing somewhere else. I don't know where that's going to be. He's been rumored to the Yankees. 
He's been rumored to the Braves. If they don't bring back Freddie Freeman, maybe they go after him. The Dodgers have kind of been linked to some first baseman as well. Uh, and it seems like the A's kind of want to tear this down uh, and maybe start a rebuild. So Olsen, Chapman, all those guys could be on the move. Chris, you see any defense for drafting Matt Olsen at that 3-4 turn ahead of Pete Alonso? I know you love Pete Alonso, but uh, do, you, do you see any justification in this ADP between the two right now? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I just think the case against Matt Olson is just Pete Alonso exists. You know, Pete Alonso exists and it's cheaper. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Olson gets pushed up boards even more when he gets traded, just because anytime there's uncertainty about players, it tends to depress their prices a little bit. The similarities between them are uncanny. Since Pete Alonso came into the league, Alonso's hitting 256, Olson's hitting 257. Alonso has an 890 OPS, Olson has an 876 OPS. Uh, 215 runs to 202 for Alonzo, 249 to 244 in RBI. Uh, Alonzo does have 23 more home runs. That's nothing, not nothing. Um, so yeah, I, I think on the whole, it wouldn't like. I think you flip a coin, and since Olson's cheaper, you just take that, or Alonzo's cheaper, you just take that quarter. But I guess the argument against both of them is. This is not an especially hard profile, difficult profile to replace. It's basically home runs and then RBI and runs because of home runs. But it's difficult to replace 50 homer potential or 45 no. homer potential. You know, it's, it's just a question of if they hit 33 home runs, they're probably pretty easy to replace or not, they, not irreplaceable. They do have on base ability beyond, you know, like a sure. Like sure, a Ryan I, I guess in a roto or yeah, well, th- I mean that that influences the run scored yeah. too in a, in a pretty significant yeah. way. But yeah, and then of course in a points league, there's even more separation. But yeah, if they hit forty home runs, they're irreplaceable. If they hit thirty three, then it starts to you know you're probably not going to get a lot of profit from them. So that's that's the only thing is it's just a profile that you don't love paying up for. But I'm I I will draft either one of them. Yeah, I, I would say. The biggest difference between someone like Olsen and Pete Alonso and let's say Reese Hoskins, who's going 80 to 100 picks later, who is happens to be a player that I like quite a bit, is I just think the batting average upside, right? Like we know at this point Hoskins is going to hit 240. He's going to actively hurt your batting average when he plays much better in a points league because he walks a ton. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Matt Olson, you know, he just hit 270 over the course of a full season. Like that's a, that's a big difference, a 30 point yeah. difference in batting average. Yeah. That's huge. And Pete Alonso, he actually hit over 280 in his minor league career, 290 career hitter in the minor. So we haven't seen that yet, but I always kind of thought there was like room for upside in the batting average department for Pete Alonso. Absolutely. I wouldn't project it, but I think it's possible based on this strikeout rate, this improved strikeout mm-hmm. rate that he showed last yeah. season as well. And it's worth noting in Matt Olson's case in particular, whatever they call that stadium now, I don't think it's O.co anymore, uh, is one of the hardest places in baseball to hit. And his OPS for his career is 40 points higher on the road. Most players hit better at home, even in a neutral environment, than on the road. So there is upside beyond that just because of a potential venue change. That would be Ring Central Coliseum, Chris, is where the Oakland A's play, which if you gave me 100 guesses, would not have been able to guess yeah, Ring sure. Central sure. Alameda County Stadium, isn't that what it <laughs> used to be? Something like that? Um Anyway, I just want to put a ball in this conversation. I don't want us to sound like we don't like Matt Olson. He's a fantastic player. It's just the cost is a bit prohibitive going here at the 3-4 turn. Let's take a look at Paul Goldschmidt, who has an ADP of 48.7. So he's going about one round later on average than a Matt Olson and just ahead of Pete Alonso. And 
much like Joey Votto, it was a renaissance season for Paul Goldschmidt last year where he finished as the 53rd overall player uh, in... No, he finished as the 14th overall player in Roto last season, and he averaged 3.4 fantasy points per game. So just uh, fantastic marks regardless of format. 294 batting average, 31 homers, 102 runs scored, 99 RBI, and 12 steals. Chris, we'll start with you this time. When it comes to Paul Goldschmidt, how much are you actually buying into this renaissance season from Goldie? Because you know he, he struggled with batting average in 2019, and then he struggled with power in the short in 2020 and then basically in 2021 he just turned back into like the Paul Goldschmidt of old so how much do you actually buy it I think he probably need to be skeptical about it just because he's a 34 year old who turned around a declining season and unlike Joey Votto uh, you're paying full price for it you're paying full freight for what Paul Goldschmidt did you're not getting a real discount here mm-hmm. um, the underlying numbers were better than what he actually produced Produce, which is the the kind mm-hmm. of flying the ointment there that, that makes it a little harder to make that case. But yeah, look, he's at the age where a fall off is entirely possible. Um, it's not likely at this point, but the the athleticism's definitely taken a hit. His sprint speed's down to 34%. He's, he is aging. And at some point that tends to catch up with you. And we thought that was happening already. Maybe, you know, He's made adjustments, and now it's time for the league to adjust to him, and what does that look like? I don't know, but he's not Nelson Cruz-esque in terms of being an outlier and bad at ball quality, at least not consistently. Last season, he was really good. So Yeah, he last, last season, that, he was 93rd percentile average exit velocity, yeah. but it was it was a, a turnaround. like that, that. In the history of StatCast, which I guess goes back to his prime years with the Diamondbacks, um, that's the hardest exit velocity, the, the the highest hard hit rate too. That was ninety yeah. first percentile that he's ever produced. So I, I mean, just in a in a vacuum, I'm inclined to believe that the turnaround was legit. But I kind of expected there to be more skepticism. I I, I expected there to be. Uh, I, I, I expected people not to price him as if his 2021 was totally legit. And since it seems like they are, I'm not that interested in drafting him. So he's going in around four on average, right? Yeah, around the four or five turn. So yeah, right around at- the four or five turn. Yeah. Now, if he's there in round six, which probably means Alonzo's already gone off the board, Alonzo's ADP is just you know, a couple spots lower than Goldschmidt. Uh, so they go about the same spot. If, if Alonzo's already gone, Olsen, of course, is gone. Goldschmidt is there, and, and we get into round six. Okay, I mean that's, I'll, I'll take him. Sure, uh, I would rather have him than Jose Abreu. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, that, for sure. Right, but I, I just think, I just think there isn't any kind of risk being factored into his ADP right now, which you know, for all the reasons Chris gave, you know, I he deserves some dose of skepticism. Yeah, that is fair. Of the first baseman we've talked about thus far, Goldschmidt is actually the one that I want to draft the most, just based on the profile and what he did last year. I mean, the fact that he contributes batting average gives you that out-of-position speed, the 12 steals last year, which I'm a little bit skeptical of myself. Yeah, I mean, because Chris pointed to the fact that his sprint speed has declined over the years. He was 12 for 12 in steals last year, and folks who've been playing fantasy baseball for a long time will remember he had a three-year stretch with the Diamondbacks, 21 steals, 32 steals, 18 steals. He was like the one base stealer at the position. 
but then he went basically three years where he wasn't stealing any bases at all and comes back with 12, even though he's slower now. So I'm not really counting on the steals continuing. That's that's yeah, like the, had, the, the one stat that I'm least trusting in. He had five attempts in his first 219 games with the Cardinals before going 12 for 12 last season. And obviously, like 12 for 12, that's completely unsustainable. And if he went 8 for 12 next season, that would still be really good. But I don't know if you can count on the 12 stolen base attempts. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, if he gives you six to eight, but even without that, I mean, the fact that he just contributes in all the other four categories, his batting average the last five seasons, 294, 304, 260, 290, 297. I mean, there's a very clear outlier uh, back in 2019 when he hit 260, and he made adjustments last year. He was more aggressive. He swung more more than swang, swung more than <laughs> swung more I than. Like, <laughs> I like that though. Swang, swang. He swang more that than he <laughs> than he has. English is stupid. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> why? Why even speak it? Right. Um, he swung more than he has in years past. The strikeout rate was down, and you guys mentioned the quality of contact, right? Like, this guy is. I don't know. Is this a take? Is he like a borderline Hall of Famer? Like he's had a fantastic career, and his batted ball metrics were better last year than they've ever been. So I, maybe that's due to the ball. You know, it was a little like the exit velocities were a little bit pushed up because of it. But overall, everything trusts what Paul Goldschmidt did last year. So if you're asking me, like I'm on the clock in the fifth round, and him, Olson, and Alonzo are all available for some reason, I'm taking Paul Goldschmidt. I am ranked the highest, so I do like him. I haven't wound up with him yet, but. I, I hope to do so. I, I It'll probably go fine, but he does seem like the riskiest first baseman we've mentioned so far. Yeah, that's yeah probably fair because of the age. Let's move on to Jose Abreu, who has an ADP of 69.3, being drafted in the sixth round, just turned 35 years old in January. Uh, and it was a bit of a down year, specifically in terms of batting average for Jose Abreu last year. 261 batting average, 30 homers, 86 run scored, 117 RBI. If there's one thing you can count on him for, it is that RBI category. 100 plus in six of seven full seasons, 788 RBI since he entered the league in 2014. That is second behind only Nolan Arenado. Uh, Chris, and let's not forget 60 and 60 games in 2021. Yeah, when he won the MVP. So uh, whoever was counting on regression last year and did not want to buy him at his increased cost was like a third or fourth round pick. Good on you because uh, that was obviously the right call here. Uh, Chris, where are you at on on Jose Abreu at this point? I mean, I don't know if he's going to be a contributor in batting average anymore, but it seems like he's going to help you in the other three categories. We know he gives you no speed at all. So uh, where are you at on Jose Abreu? Yeah, he's an interesting one because the stol- the the RBI numbers are just so consistently better than what you would expect from his overall production and it's like the White Sox have a good lineup, but it's not a good lineup that has a ton of guys who get on base. Like he's not batting with the the runners on base all the time. And so it's a it's a weird combination. He does seem to just hit better with runners on base and that that appears to be a consistent skill that he has. His overall production outside of RBI tends to be, you know, not great for the first base position, but when he's healthy, you can pretty much count on close to 30 home runs, if not a little more than 30 home runs. The run numbers will be fine. They won't be great. Um, So, yeah, I I think he's perfectly fine. The problem is he's 35. And so what if he's all of a sudden not? He's really really relying on being an outlier in terms of RBI production because he is often sort of just fine 
in terms of production at first base otherwise. Um, so that's that's the concern is that if he has an outlier down season in terms of run production or production with runners on base or whatever, which can certainly happen, then he starts to look pretty fringy. Well, he had also been a reliable source of batting average previously, still a career 290 hitter, yeah. but he did hit 261 last year. He is getting older. His strikeout rate has been going up in recent years. And two of the last four, he's hit 260. Yeah, yeah, but you know. He was injured that year. The, the two in between, he hit very well. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think, yeah, I, I mean, I mostly agree with what Chris said. I, I just, I would add that, I only tier him with the previous three, Alonzo, Goldschmidt, and Olsen, for a categories league, a roto league, 5x5 five five league, whatever you want to call it. He actually did walk a fair amount last year, but that's that was a total outlier, and normally he doesn't walk much at all, and strikeout rates are on the rise, as I said. I In points leagues, I would r- actually rather have Votto than a Braille straight up. Yep, and they are yeah. going... Wildly different in terms of draft Very draft fun. costs right now. Jose Abreu, I mentioned the ADP is 69.3. Joey Votto going at pick 148 right now. So uh, almost 80 picks later than uh, Jose Abreu. So quite the discount, especially for those playing in points leagues. Here's what I'll say about Jose Abreu. Anyone who's listened to this podcast, watched this podcast since I have joined, you know that I am a Jose Abreu truther. I'm a fan of Jose Abreu. If you don't think that he can bounce back in terms of batting average, you should not be drafting him at this cost. Unless you think he's going to hit 280 plus for some reason, which, you know, he's done many times before, but he's getting older. I don't know if you can trust that anymore. I really don't know how much different he is than somebody like Josh Bell or CJ Crone, who's going much, much later than him. And we'll talk about that group, but... I, I just don't really know. Like, RBI, sure, he's going to stand out. He'll, he'll be better than those guys. But if he hits 260 yeah. to 270, I, I just really don't think he's going to be much different than those names that I mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like an assurance pick, right? Like, things, there are a lot more things that could go wrong for CJ Crone sure. than for Jose Abreu. Yeah. But yeah, I hear what you're saying, and, and I don't expect to have many shares of Abreu myself. Yeah, it's just a very high floor when, when you're talking about Jose Abreu. We're going to take a quick break, but before we do that, we have another live mock draft stream coming up this Wednesday night, February 9th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This time we have a 12-team head-to-head points redraft mock. So before we did a uh, 12-team head-to-head points startup dynasty mock draft, this time it will be a 12-team head-to-head points redraft mock uh we'll also be recording a mailbag pod <clears throat> afterwards so please send in your questions email us at fantasy baseball at cbsi.com that's the letter i put mailbag in the subject or leave a five-star rating on apple and leave your question in the review we're going to take a quick break but when we return we will hmm, do we want to talk about this glob of first baseman or do we want to do sleepers breakouts and busts let's do sleepers breakouts and busts we'll do that here on fantasy baseball today Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. 
That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. All right, so before we get to the glob or the blob, whatever you want to call it, there's just like all these first basemen which seem like they're kind of similar. We'll get to them. But let's let's do sleepers, breakouts, and busts first. And Scotty, we will start with you. Your number one sleeper is blank. It's Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt is numero uno as far as the sleepers go. I've made the case before, but I will make it again since this is the first base preview after all. And that is that there's really no reason for the Yankees to move on from Luke Voigt. There's no reason for any of us to move on from Luke Voigt. He spent much of last year injured. He was playing injured part of the year, dragged down his numbers. And even after he returned, because the Yankees had replaced him with Anthony Rizzo, he wasn't getting very consistent playing time. So it's understandable why his numbers took a step back in 2021. But in 2020, he led the majors in home runs. And in fact, since joining the Yankees at the near the end of the 2018 season, he's hit 271 with a 901 OPS and has homered at a higher rate during that stretch than Matt Olson. So he has been a top five caliber first baseman when he's been healthy enough to play. He, um, you know, and that, and that's including the bad stretches, by the way, 271, 901. When you just include the healthy stretches, he's been even better than that. Because remember in 2019, his second half was marred by the, the sports hernia that he tried playing through after having like an all-star caliber first half. Uh, he's still only 31. So, you know, it's it's not reasonable to think he's in he's in decline yet. Um, and, uh, yeah, every, every time he's been healthy and has gotten consistent at bats, he has delivered with the Yankees. Uh, currently, he's in line to be their starting first baseman because Anthony Rizzo's a free agent. They could bring Rizzo back. They could trade for Olsen. They could sign Freddie Freeman. But... They don't need to because Void is there. And even if they do, it would make sense for them to trade Void to somebody else. So, you know, as as long as he's in line to start for somebody, um, I think he's at worst, worst worth drafting as a corner infielder in fantasy with the potential, again, to be a top five first baseman. Currently, he's the 250th player off the board on average. So that is just like... That's ridiculous. That, that is the most outrageous discount, I, I think, in the entire player pool. Yeah, it's just people assuming that he is not going to be on the Yankees or he's going to be a backup player. But I I would call him a risk-reward player, but there is no risk involved when you're talking about a player going that late. I mean, his overall ADP, 256.3. So by the time you're drafting, you're you're probably going to know what's going on with uh, Uh Luke Voigt, whether he's starting for the Yankees, which I don't believe. I I think there's more than a 50% chance they either sign Freddie Freeman, trade for Matt Olson, or even just bring back and Anthony Rizzo to get a left-handed bat in there and improve defense. So I do not think Luke Voigt will be the starting first baseman for the Yankees, but he probably will be the starting first baseman for somebody. So even at this cost, I, I think he's worth it as well. Uh, Chris, what would you like to add on your sleeper, Luke Voigt? <laughs> I think Frank uh, Scott pretty much covered it. He's awesome. And I don't Who, know, me or Luke not playing. What's that? Yeah. You said he's awesome. Who yes. was he? Who was the antecedent? Yes. Okay. 
Both. Um, <laughs> even if Voight isn't starting for the Yankees, it's hard to believe that he wouldn't start somewhere, right? Like they're just going to keep him on the bench. That seems unlikely. They would probably trade him for something. That's my hope anyway. I just think he's too good not to play every day. He's proven himself as one of the best hitters at first base when he's healthy, and I think he'll be that when he's healthy. So if the worst thing that you can say about a player is that they have trouble staying healthy, I'm going to like them more than the consensus. And that is the case with Luke Voigt. And what do you and call we, those big, beefy baseball guys, Chris? I, a big, beefy baseball boy. He is a big, beefy baseball boy. A little different than like a Vlad Guerrero. They're both big, beefy baseball boys, but right. it's distributed differently. But I love them both the same. Yeah. <laughs> Luke Voigt, you watch him play. I mean, this guy is like... I mean, can I, we get like, like natural tough? I, I don't know. Like he's someone who's like flipping tires somewhere. You know, like can, that's can Luke we get Voigt him for like sure. one size larger on the jersey? <laughs> just the poor jersey looks like it's gonna gonna rip every You're right. time he flexes. You're right. That is that is a tight jersey for for Luke Voigt. He is uh, not in the same you know way that we've talked about big beefy baseball boys in the past, but he's 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 one of them. He is one There's of There's all kinds of big, beefy baseball boys. They oh, come yeah. in all shapes and sizes. All shapes and sizes. No discrimination here when it comes to uh, the big, beefy baseball boys. All right. Uh, the sleepers for me, uh, you know, I have a feeling uh, you guys probably won't be as excited about these guys as I am. Nathaniel Lowe. We were talking oh. about him before the podcast started. I think maybe it was at the top of the podcast. Whatever. I've got to I talk like about the other guy that you may, that you have listed more. <laughs> I, I'm going to talk about both of them really quickly. Nathaniel Lowe, his ADP is 250 right now. He hits way too many ground balls. I understand 54% last year, but the plate discipline is still really strong. 12.5% walk rate, 25% strikeout rate. He's going to start at first base for the Texas Rangers. A much improved lineup. Corey Seager there now. Marcus Simeon, if for some reason he lowers this ground ball rate, because it has been lower in the minors and his other stops in the majors, then I think we could see a bigger power output from Nathaniel Lowe. Hitting in the middle of this lineup, he's going to play against lefties and righties. He has really, really strong splits. Don't give up yet. I, I think we could still see something out of Nate Lowe. The other one I wanted to mention was Brandon Belt. If you're looking for this year's Joey Votto, look no further than Brandon Belt. The ADP is 238.7. Yes, he's older. Can't really stay healthy. But he has been amazing since the start of 2020. That is 148 games, 285 batting average, 38 homers, a 988 OPS, including the shortened season and last year. The Giants keep finding runs. The, the Giants, RBI. The, G, the Giants keep finding a way to do this with their pitchers, their hitters. They're turning everybody around. Brandon Crawford, awesome season last year. For where he's going, if you get Brandon Belt as your corner infielder in a roto league even though he's going to miss time. The games that he plays, I think he's going to be really, really good. So uh, just... It, it was a 48 homer pace. Last year's home run pace over 162 games is 48. But he's, I mean, just, of course, not going to play 162 games because they sit him so much against lefties. They sit him against that's, lefties. He, he's going to miss time with injury. Sure, but at his cost, when he plays, he's really, really damn good. That since 2020 number, I mean, he is tied with Ronald Acuna for 40th in the majors in home runs. Since the start of 2020, he is just behind Ronald Acuna at 187th in plate appearances in that time. He's done that 38 homers in 560 plate appearances. He's been ridiculously good the past two seasons. So, I mean, if if my thing is the worst thing you can say about a player is he can't stay healthy, I'll like him more. Franks is certainly he hits too many ground balls. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think those are both valid reasons to 
be somewhat optimistic on players. I thought you were going to say if someone plays for the Texas Rangers, they just automatically uh, have an attachment uh, to my heart, which is usually no, true. It's as well. mostly the ground balls <laughs> thing, I think. Yeah, Should I talk right. about my backup sleeper first base since you did. Yeah, go ahead. Frank Schwindel. Frankie two hits. Tell us. Frankie guys. two hits. Yep. Yep. Now it'd be different if everybody was treating last year's performance at face value because you know it was it was beyond anything anyone could reasonably sustain. He hit three twenty six with a nine sixty two OPS and over, since after joining the Cubs, so in about two months time. Not a tiny sample, by the way, but two months time, 342 with a 1,002 OPS. Um, obviously, he can't do that over a full season, but nobody wants him. So he's going, he's the 213th player off the board on average. And I like betting on the guys nobody wants, uh, when, especially when they do something that superlative, you know, because there's a good chance there's something there. I mean, you look at his minor league track record. He always hit well, he, especially for average. But, you know, he, had, he showed the ability to hit the ball over the fence, too. I think the reason he got stuck in the minors till age 29 and, and bouncing between, I think, four different organizations is just because first baseman exclusively who bats right-handed and doesn't walk much. I mean, it's just hard to find a path to the majors with that profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he finally got a chance on a rebuilding team. They traded Rizzo away. They needed somebody to plug in, and and he was great. So, I think, I think he could be like a more powerful Yuli Gurriel, and uh, would be well worth a late round pick as a corner infielder. Maybe not. Maybe he'll bust in April and get sent down, and we'll never hear from him again. But at the cost, like, why not take the shot on? That's what's so crazy about the first base position, and, and you're probably figuring this out by now. Is that his ADP is 219.3. I mentioned Brandon Belt, Nathaniel Lowe. You guys talked about Luke Voigt. It's deep, man, especially if you play in Roto and you need that corner infielder or, or a late-round utility bat. There's a good chance you're winding up with a first baseman. So uh, why do we call Frank Schwindel Frankie two hits, by the way? Last year, it felt like he was getting two hits every other game, Scott. I, we would come on here and we're just like, all right, well, another two-hit performance. For, yeah, for, he, won, he won a lot of people championships last year. Yeah, for, for, sure. for Frank Schwindel. Uh, how often did he actually do that? Uh, he played 55 games with the Cubs. He had multiple hits in 25 of those. So legitimately, almost every Pretty other good. game, he had multiple hits. Uh, so an awesome season from Schwen- uh, Frank Schwindel. Let's quickly move through our uh, breakouts and busts. We still have a lot of players to talk about. Uh, Chris, give us your breakout real quick. Pete Alonzo, we've already pretty much covered it, but I-, I would just point out that I think there's room for him to take that Matt Olson-esque jump that Matt Olson had last season because of the improved contact rate, because of the underlying you know, not just the in strikeout rate, but the underlying contact numbers all look much better than they did as a rookie. And he did that. I mean, you remember he hit 53 home runs as a rookie. He did that with batted ball metrics that were just as good as his rookie season, if not a little better. And his expected WOBA was actually slightly higher than his rookie season. So I do think there is room for Pete Alonso to, you know, have a 275-40 season with, 225 combined runs in RBI. I think there's just room for a legitimate, like, borderline first round or top 20 overall player there. Wow, Pete Alonso. That, w- that would be a worse season than the year he actually hit 53 home runs, for what it's worth. Uh, probably. Maybe the runs in RBI I was a little low on. I'm not sure. Um, 
But yeah, I, I just have to point it out because I'm sure somebody's screaming that. You don't have to point it out. <laughs> I have to point it out. <laughs> he had 53 home runs as a rookie. Oh, oh. he only had 223 runs in RBI. I said he was going to no. have 225. <laughs> oh, Much better. Okay. <laughs> you chose Pete Alonso, Chris. I was going to say, uh, you're probably one of those people who would predict John Carlos Stanton to break out, wouldn't you? Exactly. <laughs> All right, Scott, who do you got as a uh, breakout here at first base? My breakout's a little lower end. Um, I'm going to go Alex Kirilov as my breakout. Of course, he's eligible in the outfield as well. But he had... He, he, re- he took us on a ride his rookie season last year. He really did. Because remember, he got off to... We hyped him a lot during the preseason. I did especially. He got off to a three for 26 start. Everybody's like, what's going on with this guy? And then he, he had th- th- these like four amazing games where he hit f- four home runs and two doubles. But the thing was, even when he got off to that three for 26 st- start, the data loved him. StatCast said he mm-hmm. should be killing it. And Aaron Gleeman, um, forget who he's with. Uh, but Aaron Gleeman on Twitter, I, I saved this tweet from July. Uh, as you'll remember, not long after that, Kirilov suffered a wrist injury that he then attempted to play through. It was actually a torn ligament in the wrist. He played through it for a couple more months, didn't do great, eventually gave in and had surgery midseason. So this was a tweet from Aaron Gleeman in July. Um, before the wrist injury, his expected batting average was 317. His average exit velocity, 96.5 miles per hour. His hard hit rate, 63%. Jeez. And then after it, it still wasn't that bad. 281 expected batting average, 89.7 average exit velocity. That's a little low. 40% hard hit rate. But that, like that's still serviceable numbers. And that was playing with a torn ligament in his wrist. And if you look at his minor league track record, it was a monster in 2018 kind of scuffled in 2019 when he was also playing through a wrist injury. He's had it surgically corrected now, so hopefully this is completely behind him and he can get to clobbering the ball like I think he can next year. I'm happy to see that he finally got that corrected. It's just, how will he bounce back now? You're right. I mean, the StatCast numbers were fantastic. And on top of that, I love, love when a young player performs well as a left-handed batter against left-handed pitching. And that's exactly what Alex Kirilov did last season. For me, the breakout, you're probably going to say, well, this guy already broke out once before, but he's not really being drafted like it. And he's never really put together the full package. And I think he's capable of doing so if he could just stay healthy. So you're probably going to like this guy, Chris. Reese Hoskins, who last year hit 247, 27 home runs, over 107 games, a 150-game pace, 37 homers, 99 RBI, uh, it was kind of a weird season for him where the first four months of the season, like April through June, first three months, he wasn't really great. Uh, there was some like stuff going on with his plate discipline. But then July and August was just ridiculous. 323 batting average, a 1224 OPS. He hits a ton of fly balls. And last year, you know, normally Reese Hoskins would hit the ball in the air, but he wouldn't do so with authority. He wouldn't hit the ball hard. Last year, it was mm-hmm. much different. A 90... Uh, 94th percentile in terms of barrel rate. 17% was the mark there. So he walks a lot. Strikeout rate is definitely manageable. It's a good ballpark to hit in. Solid lineup around him. They're talking about potentially adding another outfielder, whether, whether that's Conforto or, or Nick Cassianos. It's, I just think that there's a ton to like with Hoskins. He just has to stay on the field. He missed 55 games last year with a left groin strain, and then he had abdominal surgery. So you worry about those things. But at the cost, 143.7, I'm, I'm all about it. Uh, real quick, the bust. Uh, Scott, we'll, we'll go to you. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's make it quick. Yeah, Ryan Mountcastle, he's the 
bust I'm most confident in, regardless of positions. I had him as a bust even before they announced the changes to Camden Yards because his profile was totally dependent on how many home runs he hit. Um, 33 last year, you know, doesn't get on base much, strikes out more than I'd like, not a good source of batting average. It doesn't look like his profile so far lends itself to that. And he just didn't impact the the ball hard enough to end up with 33 home runs, 45th percentile average average exit velocity. Uh, And now Camden Yards, they pushed the fences back 30 feet in left field. It, and if you do like a park overlay, Camden Yards and every other park in, in the majors, it looks like now the most difficult place to hit a home run to straightaway left field, which is going to – it could kill a right-handed power hitter like Ryan Mountcastle, uh, who I think hit two-thirds of his home runs at Camden Yards last year. So, yeah, I mean, I was thinking, okay, maybe he's like a 25-homer guy, really, instead of a 33-homer guy. Uh, but with that change to the park, now I'm, I'm not even confident he's going to get the 20 home runs, and there's really not much else to go with uh, that home run total for him. All right, Scotty, I'm going to swoop in here. I'm going to steal your homework. I'm going to change a few different things to make sure that the teacher can't tell. But I'm with you. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle is my bust at the position, and he hit 22 of 33 home runs in Camden last year, so you're right, exactly two-thirds of his home runs. Overall, batting average, OPS much better at home last season, and Derek Hardy put out a thread. Derek Hardy, super smart dude. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He, he does the bat and the bat X projections, uh, that which you can find over on Fangraphs. He lowered Ryan Mountcastle's home run projection from 32 to 28, so that, that's pretty significant. A four-home run yeah. drop there, uh, and on top of all this, average home run distance for Ryan Mountcastle last year, 396 feet. That was tied for 93rd among qualified hitters out of 132. So really not a great mark for one Ryan Mountcastle. Chris, who do you have as your bust at first base? I think Ryan Mountcastle is the right answer. Uh, but we already talked about Paul Goldschmidt and, and you know the, the ways that things could go wrong for him because of mostly his age, but also the recent track record not being as good as it was last season. I just think there's room for him to fall off. And then I have to mention Vladimir Guerrero in in a small whisper just for the potential that maybe he drops to like an 870 OPS bat. Maybe he's just, maybe the floor is a little lower than we think. And maybe he's more like a top 50 hitter rather than a top 25 hitter as his floor. I think that's possible. It's not especially likely. I'm not avoiding Vladimir Guerrero, but (laughs) just to, to... to note for the record the possibility of that. All right, let's get to the glob here, which I have dubbed. We have nine first basemen going between picks 110 and 150. It's that middle class that you're talking about, Chris, and we've already talked about uh, one of these names, and that is Ryan Mountcastle. We have three that are going between picks 110 and 115 in the 10th round. Ryan Mountcastle at pick 111.7, Max Muncy at pick 115.3, and then Jared Walsh, at pick also 115.3, exactly the same as uh, Max Muncy. Scott, I mean, real quick on Max Muncy, people are probably freak, like freaking out. How have you not talked about Max Muncy at this point? He was awesome last year. There's no doubt about that. 249 batting average, 36 home runs, 95 runs, 94 RBI. The problem is that he is dealing with a torn UCL, which he admitted back in November was healing very slowly. So, we just don't know. Like the range of outcomes is Max Muncy is healthy and he's amazing and he's a huge discount. The other possibility is that 
he plays a month and he has he needs Tommy John surgery. So that's the risk with Max Muncy right now. Or that he just doesn't play at all. Sure. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I would much rather take the risk on Max Muncy than either Jared Walsh or Ryan Mancastle just because I think the, the ceiling is so much higher. And I think the floor for both of them, for all three of them, is you just drop them in April. Like, I think that it's not going to happen for Max Muncy because of production. It could very well happen for Ryan Mountcastle and Jared Walsh. And so, give me the guy who, if he's healthy, is probably going to be a top 60 player rather than the two guys who I don't think have that kind of upside. And Max Muncy can be better than that even. Yeah, Jared Walsh. Yeah. I do want to quickly give him some credit. I mean, he did have a very good season last year. 277 batting average, 29 mm-hmm. homers, 98 RBI. And he did that uh, despite no Mike Trout or, or Anthony Rendon for a majority of the season. The problem is the StatCast data did not love him. You know, he didn't really have inspiring batted ball metrics. A 48% ground ball rate uh, for a lefty who is going to hit a lot of those ground balls into the shift. I think that can hurt his batting average. And then he's just awful against lefties. 170 batting average, a 565 OPS. So, uh, again, like I don't really think he's much different than this next group that we're going to talk about, and he's going like 30 to 40 picks higher. So, I'm out. I'm out on Jared Walsh. Same. Same. All right, Scott is also out on Jared Walsh. Let's move on to the this next two, these next two, who have uh, triple eligibility, and uh, both are going right around pick 120. So, the... Round 10, 11 turn, and that includes Jake Cronenworth at pick 119.3, and then DJ LeMahieu, who is going at pick 121. Um, Jake Cronenworth, a, a very solid season overall. I mean, the the final stat line kind of dropped off a little bit because he was playing through a fractured ring finger uh, in the final month of the season, which kind of brought some of his numbers down. And then DJ LeMahieu, 33 years old. We were worried about what his numbers would look like without the bouncy ball last year. Uh, and then it turns out that after the season, he was playing through a, a sports hernia. So he had surgery on that, you know, right after the season ended. Um, Scott, both of these guys going around the same spot right now, Jake Cronenworth and DJ LeMahieu. Do you, do you like either? Do you actually find yourself targeting either one of these guys? Probably not even at first base though. I would imagine maybe like at second or yeah. 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 More likely one of the other places that they're eligible. I like Cronenworth more. I think um, there's more batting average potential than he showed last year. That's kind of the downside for him. He hit in the two sixties. I think LeMayhew, and maybe he could be a batting average specialist or run scoring specialist still, but I'm kind of out on him as just a general mixed league asset because I, I think, I think the, the ball change explains everything for him. It just, he he so rarely elevates. He he relied on this outlier home run to fly ball rate that I'm I'm just not sure he's capable of putting together with the new ball anymore. Yeah, um, Chris for Jake Cronenworth, he had 266. The expected batting average was 280. So he, you know potentially even a, a little bit unlucky last year. Really strong plate discipline, so I think that helps him in points leagues. If I'm taking one of these guys, it's going to be Jake Cronenworth. Uh, I, I'm not sure that he has a massive ceiling, but I I do think he's actually a pretty high floor player. I think there's room for him to run more. Right. I agree. Um, you know, you look at the minor league numbers and he was right around like 20 stolen bases per 150 games, not at a great success rate, obviously. So that's a little concerning, but he was 86th percentile in stolen bait in uh, sprint speed last season. So he's pretty fast. And so 
I do think there's the potential for a 20 homer, 10 steal season while hitting 280, and that would be very valuable. I also will say I was a big skeptic of DJ LeMahieu last season. I'm probably not as low on him as Scott is. Um, he had a 340 expected Woba, which actually wasn't far off from where he was in 2020 when he was at 368. He just underperformed it and had a 315 actual Woba. His expected batting average, 283. Expected slug was 397. So I agree the power is not there. But I still think he could be someone who hits 290 and scores over 100 runs. And that's going to have value, especially in a points league, because his plate discipline is still going to be really, really good. And, um, yeah, I think there's still room for DJ LeMahieu to be a useful fantasy starter, even if the idea of him being a superstar looks pretty silly in the you know light of day now. Yeah, I, I think the, the days of the power are gone. I mean, the home run to fly ball ratio by year with the Yankees, 19.3% in 2019, 27% in 2020, 7.7% in 2021. So... You know, maybe he's, you know, 12 to 15 home runs at this point. But uh, I, I will agree. Like, I haven't wound up with LeMahieu yet myself. But I think he still can be a useful player regardless of format for the reasons you mentioned in points leagues. And in Roto, it's kind of hard to find that profile in the middle of the draft. Someone that helps in batting yeah. average and could potentially score 100 runs. So Well, and, and uh, realistically, you're going to draft him as a third baseman because that position is just yep. so yeah. bad. Sure. And, and like you, you, need, you need whatever you can get there. For sure. Uh, this next group of four, so like there, there's these mini groups within the glob. It's like it's a glob, but then there's also like sub-globs. And, and globs, yeah. Globs yeah. within globs. Globs it's within, Globs yeah. all the way down. Lots of, lots of globs here. <laughs> uh, this, this group of four, this is the one that I have dubbed the Profit Pocket. So the reason why, and, and it's not really a great name. If anyone else wants to come up with something better, please help me out because I, you know I, I waste so much time thinking about this too. Like I was looking up synonyms for the word group, and it's uh, it was it was awful. Uh, anyway, with the exception of Reese Hoskins because he got hurt last year, all of these players finished inside the top ninety-five players in Roto last season. Yet all of their ADPs are between one thirty-eight and one forty-eight right now. So you are, I mean, it, it's a very clear profit in my opinion, and. Uh, for some of them, I actually think there's upside to be much better than that. So uh, it includes Josh Bell at pick 138.3, CJ Crone at 138.7, Reese Hoskins at 143.7, and then Joey Votto at 148. Chris, this is the group that I find myself drafting first mm -hmm. baseman from most, and I think you could just kind of break it down by format too. Like in a points league, if I get Hoskins or Votto, love it. In a roto league, if I get Crone or Josh Bell, guys that can give me 25 to 30 home runs without hurting my batting average. I love it. This is the group that I find myself drafting for most. Yeah, I think Joey Votto is the clear best player here. Um, and I imagine Scott agrees. I have him as the number seven first baseman in mm -hmm. both formats. And I, I imagine Scott's pretty close to that. Yep. And it's mostly just because I really, really buy what he did last season and the improvements that he made. Um, and, you know, we saw a little bit of it in uh, September of 2020 as well, when he started hitting more fly balls, sacrificing a little bit of contact for power. So I think that's real. Mm -hmm. He said that's what he wanted to do. And then he right. went out and there and did it. Joey Votto so. is the kind of player who is <clears throat> unusually candid about his process and what he's trying to do as a hitter. It's one of the best things about him, I think. Mm -hmm. And he's also very consistent <laughs> in following up what he says. And I remember a quote from like four or five years ago where he basically said like, at some point, 
I'm probably going to have to sacrifice to, to hit for power as I get older because the bat speed's not going to be there and I'm not going to be able to do it the same way. He's, you know, the smartest hitter in baseball probably, so there's a lot of reasons to believe in him, and he's still super talented. And, I like the rest the, of them and, fine. And the other thing with Votto is he missed a month with a fractured thumb and yeah. still hit the 36 home runs, right? Yep. He had, he had 31 of them in just the final two-thirds of the yep. season. So, like, you give him an extra month, you know, you, he can afford to take a step back. Um, for the four, though, and Reese Hoskins, CJ Crone, Josh Bell being the others, like, I like all four of these guys more than Mount Castle, Walsh, yep. Cronenworth, and LeMahieu, who we all see going ahead of them. So yes. I agree with your... Overall assessment, I mean, C.J. Crone, he, he mashed at Colorado the way, you know, we, we always expect these hitters to take a big step forward there, and, and sometimes they disappoint us. Crone didn't, and uh, I think is being undervalued um, as a guy who could help in, in batting average and home runs. Uh, Hoskins, you know, he is, he, he might be the single player now since, since, uh, since you know, Carlos Santana seems to have, not really be a contributor anymore. Hoskins might be the single biggest player with the biggest difference between his his points and five by five value. In points leagues, he averaged three point two one, exactly the same as Jose Abreu last year. So he is definitely deserves to be ranked higher in that format. And then Josh Bell. This was the number I was looking up before the show, um, and I was surprised even how it came out. So. We've talked about how Josh Bell was a disaster in April, and it kind of brought down his season-long numbers. May 1st on, 279, 25 homers, and 865 OPS. Very good, right? So I wanted to see what his point-per-game average was from May 1st on, and it was 3.01, just the same as C.J. Crone. Okay, that's pretty good. He was He came off the bench for so many of those games that it, it obviously skews the point-per-game line. I remember they had Ryan Zimmerman there mixing in at bats. Who, who knows if he's going to be around? Even if he is, they got the DH spot. Bell started playing, starting more consistently as the year went on. Just as a starter, from May first on, Josh Bell averaged three point five six fantasy points per game, which would have put him behind only Vladimir Guerrero and Matt Olson. He had more than Freddie Freeman even wow. points per game during that stretch. So yeah, I am. For like the fourth straight year, I think I'm going to be banging the drum for Josh Bell. One thing that I think is worth watching with him is just the the production versus lefties. He was really good against lefties. He was actually slightly better against left-handed pitchers than he was uh, against righties, which I believe that's the first time in his career. He had a 740. He has a 742 OPS against lefties overall. Uh, he had more walks than strikeouts against lefties last season. So, if that's a real improvement. Um, that could be significant because it would make him an everyday player. But I do wonder whether it's a small sample size fluke. Anytime you're talking about versus left-handed pitcher, especially splits, you're talking about less than 200 plate appearances, I'm pretty sure. So that's the concern there for me. That's why I'm a little less likely to buy him, especially when he's more expensive than Joey Votto. Again, I love this group for all the reasons that you guys have mentioned. The Profit Pocket. 
That's Josh Bell, CJ Crone, Reese Hoskins, and Joey Votto. Please feel free to help me out with the nickname there, Profit Pocket. That's that's not going to get it done. Let's wrap up here with ADP review, and we'll we'll go through uh, some other rounds that we haven't talked about yet. Let's just quickly recap again. First round, Vladimir Guerrero. Second round, Freddie Freeman. Third round, Matt Olson. At the four five turn, you see Paul Goldschmidt. In the fifth round, we see Pete Alonso go. Sixth round, Jose Abreu. Teardrop. Forty picks later, in the tenth round. Ryan Mountcastle, Max Muncy, Jared Walsh. For the most part, we are avoiding that group, though Max Muncy, he's a wild card. If, if, if he's healthy, I mean, there's huge room for I'm for not, I'm not there. avoiding it. All right, fair I'll enough. I'll say that with Muncy. Just a few picks later after that, the 10-11 turn, Jake Cronenworth and DJ LeMahieu. About 20 picks later after that, rounds 12 and 13, we see Josh Bell, CJ Crone, Reese Hoskins, and Joey Votto go. Three names going between ADP 150 and 185. That includes Ty France, at 151.7, Anthony Rizzo at 177.3, and the aforementioned Alex Kirloff at 183.7. Scott, is there anything that you'd like to add to Ty France and Anthony Rizzo since you already talked about Kirloff? I, I, I'm, I'm probably even lower than Anthony Riz, on Anthony Rizzo than this. Uh, he seems like a guy who, whatever hope we had of him regaining the power, you know, he used to be a consistent 30 homer guy with the Cubs. And I think the new ball effectively ended that because, you know, even in those prime years, he wasn't a guy who hits the ball, especially hard and going to Yankee stadium was supposed to fix him, and it didn't really. So I, you know, I think, I think we've seen the last of Anthony Rizzo as more than just a fringe guy. Ty France, you know, he's, he's, I I see him as kind of like a batting average specialist you know, he's kind of a more powerful version of Yuli Gurriel instead. So maybe like, you know, Frank Schwindel. Maybe maybe that's a better comparison for Frank Schwindel is Ty France. Uh, but he, he's useful and he's second base eligible as well. Four more first basemen going between picks 200 and 220. That includes Yuli, Yuli Gurriel at pick 204, Trey Mancini at 207.7, and Frank Schwindel at 219.3. I just said that there were four players here. Turns out that there are only three players here. Uh, Chris... Guriel and Trey Mancini, we haven't talked about either of those yet. Guriel, like, I know he's old, too. He turns 38 in June. He hit 319 last year, 80-plus runs, 80-plus RBI. Fantastic plate discipline in one of the best lineups in baseball. He averaged 3.1 fantasy points per game. Later on in your drafts, regardless of format, Mm -hmm. you need batting average in Roto, or you need a utility bat in a points league. I I like the value still on Yuli Guriel. He's boring, and, and he's fine. 204th overall, he's a really nice guy to have around. He's not going to win you a league, but that's a really, really solid bat to have at that price. You know, and if he falls off, like if, if the 38-year-old just stops hitting at all, you spent a 200th overall pick on him. Like that's that's nothing. It, it's it You lose nothing with that. So yeah, he's he's perfectly fine there. I have him ahead of Mountcastle and Walsh in points leagues. Nice. Because, you know, the strikeout rate is so low for Gurriel. He was, it was one of his best years, but 307 points per game last year. You know, Pete Alonzo was 316. So it's, he was, he was definitely a top 12 starter in that, in, in the points format last year. Uh, on Trey Mancini, I wanted to quickly mention that uh, he was really good for the first four, four months of the season. He hit 264 with an 812 OPS, and then he fell off over the final two months. And I, look, I think it's a pretty fair explanation. I, the guy was returning from cancer. Is there a possibility that you know he was fatigued as the season went on? Sure, I think 
that's very possible. I will also bring up, he's probably was someone that was helped out by the juice ball, you know, in, in 2019 when he had his career year. So keep that in mind. I'm not sure we can and, get back and, there. And he'll be hurt by the new dimensions. He, yeah. Like Mal Castle hit two thirds of his home runs at home last year. Sure. I would rather take a chance on him a hundred picks later than Mount Castle though. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure there's much of a difference between them as hitters. This entire podcast is just anti Ryan Mount Castle. Okay. It makes this me point. a little sad. Uh, four more. First baseman going between picks 220 and 250. Jonathan Scope at 221.7. Bobby Dahlback, 224.3. Brandon Belt, 238.7. And Spencer Torkelson, one of the top prospects in all of baseball, has an ADP of 241.3. And last year hit 30 homers with a 935 OPS over 121 games in the minor leagues. Scott, I did want to ask you about Bobby Dahlback because I've seen some really smart people in the fantasy baseball industry hyping him up. And the stat cast numbers were really, really strong for Bobby Dahlbeck. And August and September was also like this ridiculous pace for him. 288 batting average, 18 homers. The plate discipline was much improved. The problem is the Red Sox have a prospect in Tristan Casas who's coming soon. Yeah. And it's like, how long is Bobby Dahlbeck going to fight him off? I, I, I just don't know. That's the thing. Yeah. Tristan Casas is... You know, I, I don't have a lot of hope for Dahlbeck anyway. He strikes out 35% of the time. So that's, uh, you know, that's going to keep him from from delivering on the power potential that we know he has. He's actually a better defender at third base than Rafael Devers. But, you know, obviously Rafael Devers has already taken up third base. And, and if they bring Casas into play first base, so that where does that leave Dahlbeck? Yeah, I, I don't. I'm I'm not one of those who's who's hyping him and and frankly uh if it's if it's uh if it's for a bench spot anyway I, I might just take Casas. Yeah. In, in the hopes of him getting called up in June and and being awesome. If you are chasing power potential late in your drafts though, I I I think it's worth a shot. 91st percentile in average exit velocity for Bobby Dahlbeck, a 20% barrel rate, that was 98th yeah. percentile. So there is a lot of power. There's also a lot of strikeouts for Bobby Dahlbeck. Uh, the remaining names we, you know, we mentioned Nathaniel Lowe. We mentioned uh, Luke Voigt. Obviously, these guys are are all in on Luke Voigt. Uh, Miguel Sano going at pick two seventy nine, and then three hundred plus Jesus Aguilar, Lamont Wade Jr., Eric Hosmer, Rowdy Telez, Yoshi Sutsugo. Chris, is there anyone in this final group that you'd like to uh, to highlight? Very late, probably in deeper leagues. Yeah, not so much. I know there are a lot of people who like Riley Telez and their, you know, Yoshi Susugo, what he did with after getting, tra- or he didn't get traded, he got cut, right? Yeah, I um, think I think he just signed with the team. Yeah, after ending, the Dodgers cut him earlier in the season, right? Yeah. Um, you know, th- I, I think there are reasons to be interested in those guys in your later rounds and their fine bench bu- options. Hey, Jesus Aguilar is kind of a kind of a homeless man's Jose Abreu. Like you're probably going to get decent power, decent run production numbers from him. And that's probably it. He probably won't hurt you anywhere else. And he will almost, I mean, he's what the 28th third first baseman going off the board or something like that. I I think there's a very good chance. Jesus Aguilar finishes higher than that. I don't think there's much of a chance that he finishes much higher than that. Scotty, any anything that you'd like to add to any of these players we mentioned, uh, and then I'll quickly bring up the prospects to know: Tristan well, I, Casas, yeah. Nick Prado, Vinny Pasquantino, uh, Juan Yepes, mm-hmm. and and Seth Beer. And you mentioned Torkelson already, who's right. uh, deserves to go the earliest of them. Yeah, um, 
So Prado has pretty much mastered AAA already. I expect them to be up within the first couple months for the Royals. And Vinny Pasquantino, who's just a level behind him, but his skills m- might even translate cleaner since he doesn't strike out much. It's just a question of how they find at bats for the two of them. But I like them both as draft and stashes in deeper leagues. Seth Beer, he's coming back from uh, shoulder surgery that could hamper him at the start of the year. But uh, you know the Diamondbacks are still all they all all they have is Christian Walker first base, and then they're probably going to have the DH spot available too. So I expect to see Beer as soon as he's healthy and. He's he's one of those prospects who could go either way. I could see him becoming this must-start type player in fantasy, or I could see him just being this kind of platoon bat that never really breaks through as more. Uh, so definitely somebody to keep an eye on, and certainly invest in like an NL only league. Up. What is that, Chris? Cue up the real big fish when he gets called up. <laughs> they uh, they've got a few interesting songs that I like. I, I'm not obviously Chris. You're the music guy on this podcast, so I but, mean I'm I'm surprised you 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 know some real big fish songs. Yeah, what is, what is that? That's uh ska, right? That's the genre that yes, that is. That is ska. Yeah, that, there's some sneaky good ska songs that I that I actually mess with. So uh, we'll have a conversation for it another day. I, look, yesterday I mentioned that you know the catcher preview was running super long. Same thing with first base. I, I think that's probably just going to be the case here. Like, there's just so many players to talk about. So it is what it is. For the next couple of weeks, you're going to get really long podcasts, uh, and I hope you enjoy them. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching. Fantasy Baseball Today will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework.